If you would like to buy your own copy of The Empire Strikes Back, go to the Bloomsbury website and use code POD35 followed by a respective country code US, UK, CA, AU, depending on where you're located. Rebecca Harrison is lecturer in film and television at the University of Glasgow in the UK and author of our BFI film classics book on The Empire Strikes Back. In part two of this episode, we talk about the relationship between fandom and franchise, including how profit-making gets in the way of storytelling and the impact fans can have on the casting and plot of a movie. Then we'll be turning back to the franchise that started it all to discuss how it directly gave life to the marvelization of the film industry, how the Star Wars fandom continues to affect the canon, and the ways that the meaning and reception of this movie have shifted over the past 40 years. Yeah, I know. I just think I know that people got very frustrated by particularly the first and third films in the most recent trilogy for their use of nostalgia or reliance on it. And I understand that. And I, I think that's, you know, it's definitely there to be critiqued. I also feel like this is just my kind of personal feeling about Star Wars. So it's not to suggest anyone else's opinion on this is, is wrong or less worthy. But for me, I just don't expect that much more from a Star Wars film. You know, I I think maybe I should be holding it to a higher standard or maybe I should be holding Star Wars more to account, but I don't seek those politics. I'm not seeking progressive, like forward-thinking, radical politics from a billion-dollar franchise owned by Disney. It's just not right. I, I don't expect to find it there. And so because I'm not looking for it, I don't think I'm perhaps as disappointed that it isn't there. But that's, you know, that's how I'm coming to these films. And I think for other people, they do want more from them. And it would be nice to think that eventually those corporations would pay attention. But then I think they would have to, by the very nature, not be corporations anymore. That's fair. I also, I mean, like, I agree with the core of that, which is like, yes, this has been sold to Disney. They have made billions of dollars. You're not really going to get like a film that advocates for like revolution or whatever. I will say though, like I did find it disappointing that we didn't actually get something like at least a little bit narratively new, you know, like the first film, they brought back the Death Star again, really. (laughs) And then the last film, they brought back Palpatine again, like, just like, it really like, as a sci-fi fan, I was just like, obviously I'm not expecting anything incredibly revolutionary, like even narratively, let alone like politically. But I was really just like, are you kidding me? Like, there's one thing for like, I think people to enjoy nostalgia, something comforting, you know, something escapist and fun, which that's what we want from these types of films, obviously. But for them to just like recycle certain tropes, like even from like the original trilogy, partly because I assume, don't know what J.J. Abrams was thinking, partly because, you know, like that is what people loved about the original trilogy. I was just like, this is kind of, disappointing on a basic narrative level that I did not expect from Star Wars. (laughs) But I mean, just thinking about another franchise, the most recent Matrix film, nothing sees nostalgia, like anxiety, like a little nostalgia. So yeah, no, I agree. But I'd still like the original trilogy. I was just like, you're really like leaning on these like specific, specific tropes. And that really, it was something that I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, the the thing that I found really interesting about 
people's responses to the trilogy is it is those two films that people say but it's just a remake which is is also interesting because of course Return of the Jedi got hugely criticized for basically being a remake of A New Hope even when it came out so it's kind of always done that and you might think they would learn lessons from it but what really struck me and I think maybe it's just because I've watched The Empire Strikes Back so many times that it's narrative beats and it's tropes and its themes which are slightly different to those other two in the trilogy stick in my head actually the last jedi is like a act for act remake of the empire strikes back i think that ryan johnson is much smarter about how he deploys the kind of motions that the film goes through than maybe jj abrams is who just does it in this really explicit way but the last jedi for all that it's got this oh we're rejecting the past we're letting go of the past it really doesn't it's holding on for dear life to the Empire Strikes Back all the way through. So, yeah, I think it, there's a degree to which they, they all do that. And it is, I think the, the thing I find extremely frustrating in that respect is that the Star Wars paratexts, which have always been huge and often have involved far more marginalised people, like a kind of more diverse set of perspectives and backgrounds in the people doing the creation of those texts. So the, the comics, the novels... Even the TV shows, both the, the kind of CGI and live action ones, they've given so much more space to new stories and to different perspectives and to marginalised characters and done some really interesting rethinking in those spaces. Um, some of the novels that I've read go to a totally different territory or if they do revisit the original trilogy, they do so in a way that thinks quite carefully about representation and what those images actually meant. There's a a novel that reimagines Leia in the gold bikini, killing Jabba the Hutt, and the kind of the the resonances of that and how it feels for her to be reminded of it. And like that to me is is there's just so much great material sitting there that's part of the Disney official Star Wars canon. And then it just doesn't ever quite make it into the films. And I I, I this is where the kind of corporate issue comes in because it's that kind of story is just not seen as being as globally marketable to such a huge audience and people decide it's not going to make us as much money and it doesn't get made but yeah I mean those Star Wars stories are there if you look for them beyond the films yeah just want to say quick shout out to RIP the extended universe um (laughs) yeah no I totally agree like I I haven't actually like dived like really deep into like all of the uh ex like basically a the extended universe all of the comics novels etc games the rpg like the which is like pre is it 2014 i think it's 2014 2015 where they were just like everything apart from the clone wars is no longer canon and going forward that's what's canon but yeah there is so much there's a lot of like really rich storytelling extant to like the main stuff, which is much more interesting, which I find both like uh, incredibly fun just to think about, but also, yes, um, a little bit frustrating. Yeah, it's really enjoyable to see Ming nerd out about this, honestly. (laughs) It's like all of your hot takes are coming out. It's I'm really learning so much about you in this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, off of that, just thinking about the extended universe 
You know, you were talking earlier about just like how these blockbuster movies are for fans. And so we fans should have some kind of say in in the way that a universe unfolds when it cuts to the stature, because, you know, Star Wars is nothing without its fandom. What do you feel is that relationship between fans and the kind of creative casting of the franchises? Do you think, I mean, when fans are trying to dictate how a movie should go, do you have an opinion about like how much a film should kind of capitulate to what its fandom wants? Because I think it can work out. Obviously, the fandoms know what's up, but sometimes I think it sometimes can be at the expense of the story. I'm thinking about how like the creators of Friends have said that they sometimes regret putting Ross and Rachel together because it's not like something that was really good for Rachel's character, but it's like what the fans had been waiting for for 10 years. So yeah, do you feel like there's like an a, like that kind of dynamic between Star Wars fandom and the people who make it? I mean, it's a really, really difficult question to answer. Primarily because since Disney has owned the Star Wars IP, it's, I mean, even Lucasfilm under George Lucas was not much different. It's extremely private and it doesn't give much away. And we don't really get much access to the decision making that goes on behind the scenes. So people speculate about how a decision got made why this character got written in, why this character got left out, how this storyline progressed, did they change it? But we don't really have any evidence, not really, to tell us precisely why these decisions got made. And all sorts of decision-making informs the end product of a film, and that could be costs, it could be the availability of an actor, it could be personal differences or tensions on a set, could be an executive it could be you know there's like so many different it could just play well when it it will not play well in tests I mean we've just seen uh, the Batgirl film get pulled which they are claiming is because it didn't play well in tests with audiences but of course that's not it just doesn't seem like the real reason and and actually there's a, a whole bunch of really quite dark reasons for this with a kind of new board coming in a takeover And I think the fact, you know, it has a woman of color in the lead role and men of color as directors. And and you think, would this be happening to white people? I, I don't know. Like, you know, who has power? How easy is it to take power away from them? Those are questions that you kind of have to keep in mind. But so all of which is a long winded way of saying we can speculate about the relationship between fans and executives of a big corporation, but we don't know for sure. So we can infer things, but I think that that can, it's, again, it's about a balance. Like it can be useful to speculate, but also we can end up just falling down rabbit holes and placing blame where it's not fair to place it. And I think, you know, some people have said, well, these films ended up looking like the worst kind of fans wanted them to look. And like, yeah, probably in some ways they did. But also these fans ended up with films that had women leads, John Boyega as a black man is a Jedi. I mean, I don't think that that's entirely pandering to a racist, sexist demographic of fans. You know, that's doing something different. So, yeah, I don't really have an easy answer for that. I would love to get at the production files and to get access to the, you know, other films in the past, especially you would, you, this stuff would eventually be archived. Some of it's public for, you know, kind of really big films. You can, 
go to the Margaret Herrick Library and look up production notes from scripts from big blockbuster movies. You can't do that with Star Wars. And it's frustrating. But like I I just oh I just live in hope that one day we will we will get to do it and then we'll find out. Yes, I would love to uncover the production notes that were like, yes, the world wants more Jaja Binks. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> the fans have spoken and we have heard. <laughs> um I mean I can't no. I can't imagine that world, but maybe I'm just being uncreative. <laughs> well, so this is also probably an impossible question to actually really answer because it's it's hard. You can just go down a whole rabbit hole of speculation here. But, you know, you mentioned the executives and just the fact that this whole movie was produced by Disney. So how radical can it really ever be with that kind of backing? What's your take on like how the element of profit making kind of gets in the way of storytelling? I mean, I think we see this over and over and over again with what a lot of people call queer baiting and the the kind of promise of queer representation that never actually really comes to anything. Or if it's there, it's so brief and so light touches to be almost meaningless. And it's often very easy to edit out if cinemas want to show a version that, that doesn't include any queer representation. So, I mean, that's one example where the kind of hunt for profits has a clear impact on the kind of stories that are being told. That said, I mean, I think there's something that I found just extraordinarily interesting about The Empire Strikes Back, which is, you know, Lucasfilm weren't Disney. They were nowhere near the scale of that kind of monolithic corporation when they were operating in the late 70s. But there was a really quite serious anti-queer movement at Lucasfilm to prevent even fanzines from including fan fiction where the characters were kind of being shipped or or kind of imagined together romantically in any kind of queer couple. Like, Like genuinely, they, in fact, it was like really awful. They asked for copies of all the fanzines that were being produced because they wanted to keep an archive. What they were secretly doing was conducting surveillance on them so that they could try to shut the ones down that had queer representation. So like for all that it tries to appear progressive on screen and yet isn't in production and isn't in its treatment of fans, I think we can lose sight of the stories that are still there. So actually the the Empire Strikes Back production team included a lot of LGBT people and how out they were on set or not, I don't know. But then there were also lots of people who had worked on what are now considered kind of LGBT cult films. So well, like stuff that was like extremely camp and had that sort of sensibility about it. And actually, when you start looking at the film from that perspective, you can really see it. Like those filmmakers who weren't the producer, weren't the director, weren't the owner of the, the studio that was making the film, they all contributed to it and they still made it in a way that somehow had some kind of truth to them and was something that they like they bring an aesthetic to it that other film, filmmakers wouldn't have wouldn't have brought so sometimes i think you know that narratively films might be limited in their storytelling because of their production context but i think that people are extremely creative about how they get their point of view into the film so often these things are there you just have to look really hard for them i agree i <laughs> 
probably speaks more to the fact that I'm terminally online. But when you when it comes to like queer fans and like Star Wars, I just think about you say that like if you like really look Empire Strikes Back and like maybe the rest of like the original trilogy, perhaps you can see the influence of the crew that did work on Star Wars who were queer. Um, it just immediately made me think of um, there's a meme that's basically like in like Ret- Return of the Jedi, like. Luke basically like comes back, he's trained, he's, he's created his own like lightsaber, but he's also like in this really sleek like black outfit. And there's this meme that goes around, which is just like, clearly Luke is queer. Look at those Chanel black boots that he's wearing. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, know, I know the meme. It's so like, it's so stupid, but actually you look at it and you're just like, that is such a like cool outfit. And you can see why like a lot of like queer fans would like latch onto that kind of like small like little detail um is really fun that's my favorite thing about the internet now is that when the gays decide that we want to claim somebody as our own we can just like basically occupy twitter <laughs> until tis true <laughs> yeah and i mean i get really fed up with people saying like oh you shouldn't you know if you look that kind of like if you look you will find it but that's said in this kind of derogatory way like you're looking for things that aren't really there if you keep looking hard enough, you'll imagine it into being. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that when you've been left out of everything all the time? Like, that's the only way to find representation. Like, I really don't see it being a problem that that fans do that. Also, it's just fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if we... Actually, following on from that, profit-making and storytelling, I think it's kind of, like, undeniable that like Star Wars did, the massive commercial success, the merchandise, um, the relationship with like fans, you can kind of like see it basically give birth to a whole like next generation of what's the next franchise, what's the next blockbuster. And obviously with like the coming around to being bought by like Disney, um, a real like modern professional like corporatization of like blockbusters franchises could you perhaps talk a little bit more about how this franchise kind of gave life to things like the mcu but then also other other franchises I, i'm sort of like thinking the lord of the rings for example like for example we'll tie it back to the empire strikes back you know, people were like a little confused by like the dark tone, the way, you know, it's, you know, all the things that we now think of as kind of like, this is what's going to happen in the middle film of trilogy. And, you know, like the two towers of like Lord of the Rings kind of follows that kind of like mood, like how the story flows. So if you could talk a little bit more about that and about how like the Star Wars as tra- uh, franchise as a whole is kind of like given birth to like modern blockbusters, IP, etc. Yeah, it's, Really interesting, because I sort of don't want to, often when I'm talking about film history, I'm really wary of saying, oh, this is the thing that did that, or this is the first time that happens, because usually you end up being wrong. Star Wars definitely does represent a change in how people think about sequels and the idea of franchising. And I certainly don't think people would have, have not come across people using the word franchise at that point in time. The Empire Strikes Back is very much seen as a sequel and as a sequel, people think it will fail because sequels are never very good and that's just what happens to them. So the fact that they invest so much money and time in it is a massive risk. I mean, it doesn't seem to us now like that would be the case, but, but really they were up against it to get that film out and actually get people to go and see it. There's a huge marketing campaign around it 
it was a guy called I think Ashley Boone who was at the the studio 20th Century Fox that released the film who is kind of responsible for the film being successful with audiences and creating it it was almost like by limiting the number of cinemas showing it and suggesting to people that they might not get in to see it that just created this enormous buzz critics at the time had no real idea how to handle the film because it was narratively just not what people expected and lots of people criticized it saying it doesn't really have a beginning and a middle and an end it's just this weird film that starts in the middle of something and ends in the middle of something it's really downbeat it's really negative and depressing why would anyone want to go and see this film so actually you can kind of see on the page people just don't have the vocabulary or the the understanding to see this film as part of a trilogy which is interesting because that in itself is borrowing from film serializations that then became tv serializations way way back earlier in the 20th century so it was normal to go to the cinema and see an ongoing narrative play out on a cinema screen on film and there was one called the perils of pauline in which in every kind of installment of this story pauline would be facing some kind of attack, being tied to train tracks, that kind of thing. Then, I mean, the Star Wars itself draws heavily on the Flash Gordon series. It's all got a relationship with comic books and with literary sci-fi already. So in some ways it makes sense that it inspires those things and that it grows and obviously the merchandise kind of... That I think that's one of the key things as well. It's like, you know, the fact that you've created this line of toys before the film is even out and that sell out almost immediately and you haven't even had the toys produced, people had to be sent vouchers because they just didn't have the merchandise ready. Like that, I think, was inspired on George Lucas's part is how he made enough money to begin production for The Empire Strikes Back. So without those toys, without that additional kind of revenue, it might not have happened. But yeah, I mean, so it's kind of, as with all things, it's there's an earlier precedent but then it changes things and like the dynamics of franchise, like the idea of a franchise comes out of that. And then to me, it's interesting. Star Wars borrows from comics and then Marvel from comics borrows from Star Wars in this kind of never ending perpetual cycle. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It is a kind of cycle of different art mediums borrowing from one another and it's all happening in these waves I mean, it's such an obvious connection, but yeah, I didn't even think, obviously, Marvel started off as comics and then gave life to this whole movie franchise. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And then when you think about the history of comics and like how that was so such low art and like people considered such low art and how people got like ostracized for reading or writing comics and... And it's Jewish. Oh, my God, I could go down a whole rabbit hole if it's, you know, Marvel's Jewish history and how like Jews actually assimilated into the U.S. through like their relationship to superhero making. But zooming out a little. Like, I want to hear a podcast about that. That sounds really fascinating. I can definitely um, send you some some great readings about that or a video that my old professor did just because yeah there is this is a little tangential but (laughs) there is actually a very strong relationship between like 20th century American Jews like assimilating 
right after the Second World War through like and talking about their experience during the Second World War through comics and like Superman was very anti-Hitler at the very beginning. It's sort of how they and like Jewish the kind of the Jewish relationship to Hollywood definitely stems from that. It's very interesting. (laughs) I love how all of these things always connect up. Like everything is eventually joined up to everything somewhere else. And like, yeah. I know. That's why I love talking about cinema because, yeah, I do think it just like connects all these disparate things in in our world. And, And yeah, just thinking about Star Wars and zooming out, like about the fandom of the series, about the sort of politics of, of making the movie and all of the video games and books that it's inspired into what we now understand as like the Star Wars canon. How do you feel, looking back on this, how do you feel that the meaning and reception of this movie has shifted over the 40 years that we've been watching it? It's definitely become more beloved and more popular over time because it, when it first comes out it gets really mixed reviews and people just aren't sure about it and I think that its status as a a second of a three-part trilogy is just so confusing to people that they don't really know how to respond to it and it's not when you read kind of fan reactions when they've come out of the cinema when you read criticism doesn't really come across as being people's favourite Star Wars movie. But then I think the 1990, I think it's 1997, George Lucas by then has like kind of tinkered around with the original trilogy using the sort of newly available digital tech. And he has kind of added CGI to like clean some stuff up. But then he's also added quite a lot to some of those original trilogy films. And they get re-released on DVD and I think that that plays a massive part in people's critical reappraisal of The Empire Strikes Back. And it's not just because by then I think people have more of an awareness as to how this kind of extended narrative will play out. But also it's because it's the film that has the least narrative change in terms of the digital remastering. So the A New Hope and Return of the Jedi get like whole new scenes added to them or like whole characters change in appearance. And people are like angry about that. And it goes back to that question of like ownership, like who owns these characters and who owns the IP at this point? Because for a lot of fans, they feel like it's them. And George Lucas has come in and just like walked all over their connection to these films and like destroyed that sort of nostalgia that they had by making it look different. The Empire Strikes Back, other than stuff being cleaned up and some of the matte lines being taken out, it looks pretty much the same. And I think it becomes, you know, you see critics who are like writing up about the, the DVD release talk about it as being authentic. And I think it's partly that notion of authenticity and it's still being the thing that people remember and that belongs to them that then elevates it. And I mean, and there's other things as well. There's kind of cultural shifts in what makes a good film. It's also, I mean, it's in much the same way as The Last Jedi. It's the most art film connected of the trilogy. It's kind of antested. All of its filmmakers are working on kind of interesting, often kind of European aesthetic cinema. So I think it's also kind of elevated by that. There's lots of different reasons for it, but it ends up being the film that, you know, tops every poll every time. The nation's favourite Star Wars film, Star Wars fans, ultimate Star Wars film, the world's favourite. Yeah, it's always up there as the number one. 
so it will be interesting in coming years with the more recent films having coming out, younger generations having coming in, the kind of reappraisal that's going on around early digital aesthetics, what that might mean for the prequel trilogy. I don't think they're ever going to top my list, but they might for other people <laughs> and they might for a generation younger than me. And it will be, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this plays out over the next sort of 10 years or so. Yeah. Never say never. Maybe they'll really just blow your mind with the prequel. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me now and I watch them is that I'm always struck by how much they look like video games and they look like walkthroughs of video games. And that for me is like fascinating because there's so much tension still between like in academic circles, at least the kind of film studies, TV studies has been TV studies still feels a bit sidelined for lots of reasons, but it's not anywhere near like what, what it is to work in game studies and film is the kind of elite. Well, this is the medium that matters. And I think it's still quite dismissive and hasn't really thought enough about what games now mean to film and how films borrow from games. Mm. And I think as people become more literate around that kind of discourse and do some rethinking there, I mean, maybe those prequel films will come to mean a lot more to people because they are really important in representing that shift. That's a really intriguing place to end on. I really, I'm also excited to see how kind of these like mediums borrow from one another and and recycle things to kind of repurpose something that feels new. And maybe it will kind of expand the way that these movies were even originally designed by like kind of laying low on some of the gatekeeping that happens around creating this movie and kind of expanding the scope of what we consider as, as canon. Well, anyway, you've given me a lot to think about, Becca. So I just, I want to thank you again for being on the show. It was really lovely to to geek out about this movie. I, I really need to start, I need to watch the whole trilogy now and look out for all the things that make Darth Vader queer. 